Hi there, welcome to The Manuscript. I'm Juliana Meyer. And I'm Breno Bahut. And in this podcast, we delve into the intersection of writing and the development of technology products. Every couple of weeks, we talk to people making a difference in technical writing, instructional design, UX writing, content strategy, and anywhere else there's someone thinking about content in digital products and the tech industry. If you want to keep up with our latest news and insights, pitch in on themes for us to talk about, and also get some behind the scenes, follow us on Twitter. The link is in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to The Manuscript wherever you get your podcasts, so you'll know whenever we publish a fresh new episode. All right, today we're very excited because we'll be interviewing Pedro Alecrim, who's a technical writer at Wildlife Studios. And before we say hi to our guest, let me just say that Pedro Alecrim is a great name. Alecrim in Portuguese means rosemary, so... I'm really touched by your surname, Pedro. Hello. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Yeah, actually, Ali Cream is this actually Rosemary, and, and that's very funny. <laughs> and here in Brazil, <laughs> we even have like a song, and I, I've been dealing with the song for a while now. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a child's lullaby in Portuguese that's about Ali Cream. So I bet you were teased <laughs> during your childhood about this, right? Yeah, for quite a while. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about games. This is a very exciting episode for us because there's so much we can explore when talking about games. We could dedicate a whole episode to storytelling and immersive game experience and how it's embedded in the gaming essence. But today we'll focus our chat on the following topics. We'll start with Pedro's career and how does it feel like to work on this industry? We'll then talk about game development and how it differs from regular app development. We'll talk about community engagement. And finally, the particularities of tech and UX writing in games. Cool. So let me start by, by your career. Pedro, first of all, thanks a lot again for being with us here today. It's, it's an honor. Can you please introduce yourself uh, and, and share a bit with our listeners uh, a little bit about your, your path how, how you got here yeah okay so it, it's a pleasure being here and i was also a listener before so it, it is like a a special charm for me to be in here with you guys oh my god thank you we are very excited to have this episode finally yeah so i my name is pedro and i'm 30 years old i don't know if that's relevant but anyway <laughs> And I started working with technical support, specifically for iOS products. And that got me into entering the, the games itself, the games world, when I got an opportunity to work as a game master. And back then it was like a, a mix of player support and community management. And I even got to be the presenter for the YouTube channel that time. Wow, that's so cool. You're famous. Yeah, it was, it was very, very, very fun working with that. That tapping you're hearing? That's Pedro's cat playing in the background. Yeah, and, and after working as a game master, I, I, I've worked as a 
player support, but more specifically when in account recovery in League of Legends, which is like a, a huge, big game. And it was very nice to work with that. And after that, I got the opportunity to work in, specifically in a mobile games industry. And that's how I got to wildlife, <laughs> which is currently where I am working on. Cool. Just out of curiosity, what, what exactly does a game master do? A game master, it, it handles the, the, the tickets, so it solves the problems, but also is a, a personification of a, a friend inside the game. So it, it would be like if you had like a support manager or something like that inside the game with a character and all that. Very cool, Pedro. Uh, so from support and, and roles dealing directly with customers, you came to be a tech writer, right? Could you explain a little for us uh, how, how was this path from, from uh, one role to another, how you got to, to uh, deal with customers? Was it something that came from you? I mean, how, how, how did it happen? Yeah, actually, most of my career happened for a chance. So I, I did not start... Uh, wanting to work in customer support and all that but it, it is something that appeared and when i started doing it, it it felt right and helping people solve problems was something that i i always liked and the migration to tech writing was was something very cool because back in wildlife studios when i was working as a player support they decided to change the, the player support area. So instead of people working in player support from Brazil, they started working with people working from Ireland. So as I could not move to Ireland back then, and they did not offer that and all that, but they, they said, okay, you can leave the company if you want, or instead you can try anything you, you want inside here. So we have like a bunch of job openings and you can try. And I got to try a little <laughs> each, each one of the things that I, I was thinking on. And I've, I found myself inside technical writing and it, it is something kind of strange because I, I feel, now I feel that I've, I've been doing tech writing for a long time. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, just for different readers and, and all that. Just out of curiosity, what were the other uh, areas that you you experimented? Yeah. I tried uh, working as a, a facilities assistant, but it, it didn't work out because I didn't get got the job. So I, I got to try another one. And I even tried to be a global mobilization assistant that deal with uh, transports and, and people coming from different countries and all that. But I also did not pass, so <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got the tech writing job. And, I, and I, I'm glad I, I did. <laughs> cool. We'll have the chance to talk about tech writing specifically in a moment. But just to keep discussing your career, it seems like games have been a part of it for a long time. What motivates you about this industry? Why, why did you build your career with games and gaming in general? Gaming is, some, is something that uh, it, it was always in my life and growing up playing Mario Brothers and Ragnarok and all a bunch of other online games 
it, it felt like the it would be natural for me to work in an industry that developed me you know like uh, most of what i i am i i've been given to by games and playing games as a community and all that so i think that it would be and it is very rewarding to work in this area itself Since we're already talking about games, uh, this is something that interests me a lot because I'm, I'm a gamer, but I, I, I've never put myself in the position of someone who works in this industry. It must be very challenging in many ways. So You are a gamer, Breno? I am, of course I am. Oh my God, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. If my wife is listening, she'll say, ah, oh, he's not because she, she plays for, I don't know, five, six, seven hours straight. And uh, she's um, much more of a gamer than myself. But anyway, uh, so, but something I was wondering, Pedro, is, as I said, it, it many times I think we, we are not very aware of how things go inside a, of, of an, a gaming company. And uh, how does it differ from a regular app or, or, or software development industry? I mean, uh, how, how uh, does it differ at all? Uh, how are the two uh, development processes alike? Yeah, I, I think we have like similar uh, development processes, but some other things are also different. Because when when you work with an app, uh, I don't think that you do as much as calibration that players and, and games need to make, you know? Because players are always trying to do something different uh, or going to another path and... and that for some reason has to be patched because it's going to mess with the experience of everyone. And apps, mostly you, you fix like bugs or release new features. Uh, I don't think there is like much calibration per se. So I, I think that this is something that differs one from the other. Cool. And talking about the people who make those games come to life, How does the typical product team look like within a video game development company? Is it the same as a regular app product team, for instance? Or do we have specific roles uh, that are adapted to the gaming industry? Yeah, I think we have specific roles uh, and, and they work inside the, the development. Uh, we have like a product manager that would be like similar for for a tech company but we also have like the art team and the live ops team that deals with the monetization and also the 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 progress that the gamers are having the players are having so these will be like uh, specific areas and departments inside the company yeah nice uh, something else i was wondering video games can be so varied, right? There's web-based games, uh, mobile, TV consoles, PC, portable Game Boys. As a writer, uh, what, what should you have in mind when when you're joining teams that are specialized in one type or or another type of, of game? Yeah, that, that's a, a nice question because even even though the the games and consoles and and they are different, the the audience is also different, right? So maybe you can play in in a PC or also in in a cell phone, a mobile phone, 
And when you're experiencing each type of game, you are in, in a, a certain manner, right? Because if you if you if you're playing in a, a phone, it is much more casual. But at least this is the idea we have that it's more casual. You have free access to it, and it, because of that, the audience is I don't know. I would say less involved. Like you, you don't have to create. You don't need to create a, a a huge world and all that. And I think that's it. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Pedro. So uh, there's cert certainly, as we said before, much more going on in terms of uh, knowledge and especially engineering knowledge inside a games company than we as users are used to think from the outside world, right? So when when I'm playing, I don't know my. Uh, what, I, what have I been playing lately? Uh, Assassin's Creed, the last one, Valhalla, very good. <laughs> so when I'm playing it, I, I have no idea of uh, how and, and, and uh, people did what they did, engineers uh, worked on it. So uh, I was wondering, do you, do you support engineers or, or other professionals from, from different roles? Or, and are there any particularities in that relationship with uh, technical teams, engineers inside a, a games company? Yeah, yeah. Actually, the the documentation, the the most part of the documentation we work on are directly related to the engineers' work and, and all that. So recently, we have been working on documenting all the internal tools we have, and because of that, we had to talk with a lot of engineers and got a good grasp of what the tools are meant to be and all that. And some of these tools are also is still in development, so we have to document all they have and also try to go ahead and, and document what they want to be. Now we're shifting gears a bit to talk about communities inside games, which is something that we can't detach from talking about the games itself because the communities are such an important aspect of how people relate to games. And I think what is really unique about how people interact with a game versus how they interact with other digital products is how emotionally attached and involved players are. So when compared to other software users who use different platforms for work, the investment and engagement through social media and community forums is very different. <laughs> They're not as vocal or passionate about their opinions. And there were even some articles on the psychological toll that being a part of this industry can take on designers, developers, and other professionals because of how communities can be really toxic places. So the audience is very engaged and criticism can escalate to even changing a game entirely. There's a great video about this. We're going to add the link uh, in our show notes. It's from the YouTube channel of a gamer Game Makers Toolkit, which is a great recommendation from my friend Karin, who is an avid gamer herself. And there's this YouTube video called Should Game Designers Listen to Negative Feedback? which is really interesting. It's a great reference for our listeners. But anyways, going back to our question, <laughs> end of digression here. You've been in the gaming industry for quite a while. And even though as a tech writer, you're not as involved with the gaming community as in previous jobs like support, 
Do you have any cool stories to share with us about uh, something that a user said that was really intense or impacting or helped your work in any way? Yeah. Back when I worked with a first-person shooter game, we had like a, it was in another company, not Wildlife Studios. And we had like a, a golden AK-47, which is a, like a, a weapon and all that. And back then we didn't know that it was like so huge and, and that the community wanted it so much. So it wasn't even in the stores of the game. And we, this was when I was presenting the, the YouTube channel that I mentioned with a friend that also worked in the company. And we, we got a lot of feedback that they wanted the golden AK back and all that. And this like uh, affected us because we wanted to give them the, the opportunity to purchase that specific weapon that they wanted, they wanted so much. And we, we managed to do it. We, we arranged the development of the weapon and all that. And it was very fun to work with that and to deliver something that the community wanted. Cool. I think I would be a little afraid of working with this, this audience. I mean, anything I'd write, I, I would be afraid of arousing passionate opinions and <laughs> fingers pointing to me. I don't know if, uh, if you feel like that, but uh, it, it, it must be a, a cool and uh, interesting domain to be in. So uh, Same here. Yeah. Takes courage. Since community is such a big part of games, we might as well invite them to join our conversation, right? So we've invited a couple of gamers to talk about their perspective around game documentation and UX writing. What do they think about texts interrupting their gameplay? Have they actually read a game's manual, like, ever? How are words part of their experience? We'll be listening to two gamers. One is called Guilherme and the other is called Karim. They're both from Brazil. Olá, meu nome é Guilherme. I'm a father, an architect, and a moderate gamer, more or less in that order. Hi, my name is Karen Krieger, and I'm a gamer and also a technical writer. I play casual games like Animal Crossing, Mario Odyssey, and more story-driven games like the Bioshock Trilogy and The Witcher 3. And specifically about the subject, ever since games became predominantly digital, you know, manuals have been set aside. And I remember that back in the day when I played Dreamcast and GameCube, those were games that we bought the physical drive, considering that digital games didn't even exist back then. And I really enjoyed reading manuals. It was a way for me to stay, you know, close and connected to the game, even when I couldn't play since, you know, as a kid, I wasn't allowed to play whenever I wanted. So I kept on like reading the manuals, drawing all over them, and I really enjoyed it. As a player, my search for manuals or tutorials is rare. I usually read them when I'm stuck in a task to figure out how to move forward. This situation is similar when a user cannot execute an action in your software and search in the help center to solve his problem. Today, I feel like that games are being developed considering 
not having a manual at all. There's always a tutorial on the beginning of the game that walks you through the game mechanics and you know the menu navigation and they always find a way to show you a character's background or context for the world during the, the on-screen tutorial which I think is a more effective way of engaging with the game. The profoundness of the those tutorials always varies depending on the game developer. Some really want to take your hand and show you everything the game has to offer, helping you along the, the way, the experience, while other games, due to their concept, leave you a bit more free to explore on your own. I think that the game designers intend to have few described tutorials as possible. The premise that if the product is doing its job, it won't need a technical writing. It hurts me to say it, but this promise applies to games. Visual tutorials are the best way to walk the player into a new world and how to behave in it. Show, don't tell. I play games essentially for their story or their gameplay. When the story really gets to me, I tend to read a lot on screen. Every document, note, letters that you find along the way, when I'm in a game for its gameplay, I admit I don't read as much. I tend to skip messages or skim through. If a block of instruction appears on my screen and is not informing me about the plot, my tendency is to dismiss it. If the gameplay explanation is further than just showing which button does what, I also think that I figure it out by myself. I'm currently playing a lot of Nintendo Switch and PlayStation. Switch specifically offers a because it offers a possibility to connect it to a TV or play using the the console's own screen. Some texts are too small for reading on this console, so displaying it on screen makes it easier. During these times where accessibility is ever more present in digital products, game developers should really be more mindful of where the game is being viewed and how it affects experience. So let's uh, keep talking about this domain, but now more specifically about the tech writing role. From the outside, I, 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 I guess there are many ways in which tech writing can be present in, in the gaming experience, right? So uh, the first division, uh, I would say, is the hardware installation manuals and software gameplay. Uh, when you talk about the game documentation, we have in-app documentation within the game itself, documentation hosted in uh, external platforms and community forums, as we said before, with user hacks, and tips, things like that. So focusing on on-screen tutorials, they must be really straightforward, I believe, because users will dismiss it and uh, attempt uh, to learn through trial and error. And meanwhile, more extensive tutorials crafted by the company's tech writers are really tricky to make because you, you must remove blockers so the game can be played, right? But you shouldn't give uh, spoilers on a step-by-step -step guide about how to defeat the boss, for example, since that takes the, the whole fun out of, the, of playing the game. So could you share with us if, if uh, uh, this is part uh, of your work, if, if you uh, are familiar with that, some best practices when, when writing those two types of docs on, on screen and longer external tutorials? Yeah, uh, it, it's not something that we deal with like in a daily basis, but I can definitely try to answer the, the question as 
in, in, a, in the best manner. Regarding the tutorials, on-screen tutorials, I think that the best thing is to do it like step by step. Because once you get inside a game, it, you don't know where to click and you don't know what other functions your character can make. And one thing that we don't want is like a, a mess in the home screen of the, play, the, the, the game. Because it, it would be like, a, we, we have a lot of examples of bad UI in, in the games. And we don't want like loads of buttons and you have the store, the community, and, and a bunch of other menus that lead to another menus and submenus and all that. So the, the idea regarding the step-by-step and on-screen tutorials would be like uh, creating chunks of information that you can share. And it, it is also important to show the correct information depending on the current level that the player has or something like that. Now regarding full documentation, like uh, there's a, a fun video that we, we could share. It's related to how the board games are designed and specifically how documentation inside board games are designed. And I think it is very interesting because Matthew Baldwin, which is the guy that showed us the, the video, he, he explains a lot regarding each type of board game and, and how this one did correctly and the other one didn't. And there's a lot of things that we can learn from it. Nice. I guess board games must be a, a, a usual, uh, a frequent inspiration, right, for 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 the gaming industry as a whole. And, and uh, I, I had never stopped to to think about documentation in board games, but yeah, of course, there's someone with the tech writing role behind a board game, right? Yeah, it's something that we never uh, associate together. But if you remember. Every time that you open a, a board game, whatever it be, like Monopoly, it has the, the rules and how to play it. And so th this is something that it, it's very nice. So how, how can I end the game, right? The, if, if I am the richest, I, I get the, the game. It, it, it's not always like that. So you have like the set of rules. What can I do? What happens if I go to jail or something like that? Yeah. Old school game tech writing. Yeah. <laughs> and also we have walkthroughs, right? So if a player is lost mid-game, they can request for help during the game so they can advance in some sort of play. And I was researching about this back in the day, now that we're talking about old school games. This was even actually printed on physical manuals. So Zelda has some printed manuals with actual walkthroughs that explained what people should do if they had if they were stuck in the middle of the game which is really interesting yeah specifically because if you if you think about it there were not much communities related to gaming itself there was no internet so if you got stuck somewhere you had to ask a friend or something like that that's so true and we consume things so differently now that we expand the amount of people that we can reach out to help with anything so if we're stuck in a game we can just ask on community forums, whereas back then you could rely on that one friend who had the hack to finish the game and he he or she was like the master of all your friends because they knew what to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Cool. And you've talked a little bit more about your job as a tech writer. You mentioned that you work with internal documentation. Can you tell us a little bit more about what does internal documentation for a gaming company looks like? What is your day-to-day -day job? What type of docs do you produce for the team? Yeah. So we have like different perspectives on, on internal documents. So some of them are related to onboarders. So if someone joins the company or specifically a different project inside the company, what should he know and how can he start working, integrating his job inside what has been currently being made already? So we have like a bunch of different documents explaining how the game works specifically and how does the entities work and how can you install and edit the, the game for yourself and try some tests and all that. Another type of documentation that we work on is related more to internal tools. So if I'm making a new game and I want to extract something from another game that we have previously made, we have like a bunch of different tools that you can use for your new game. So we have like a leaderboard and specific tool to connect your Facebook account. And those tools, they need to be like documented for another developer to use later on or something like that. Nice. There's another role that I'd like to talk a little about, which is UX writing, which uh, we're always talking about here in, in our episodes, because of course it has some strong relations with documentation, technical writing, uh, technical content as a whole. And I'm not even sure if there are UX writers in wildlife studios or other gaming companies, but it seems to me that games are a great example of how the lines between UX writing and tech writing can be a little blurred uh, when dealing with on-screen tutorials specifically. You may be writing directions for a game, but since they appear on the actual product, technically it could qualify as UX writing because you're talking about the product itself, the interface. Words can be distracting in a game, but, but they are also what guides the user right, to navigate through the game. So I don't know if you've ever given any thought to that, but what are some particularities that UX writers uh, working with games have to keep in mind when, when crafting microcopy? Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that they have to keep in mind is related to the amount of connection that they have to create with the reader or the audience or the player in this case. So as we mentioned, there's a, some kind of a misconception that phone Android and Apple users, when playing in a mobile phone, they don't pay much attention to it, but it's not a universal truth. Sometimes, depending on the genre of the game or the game itself, the players, they dive in and they want to know more about the story of the game, how the characters were developed. And I think that you can tell those stories also using UX and microcopy. So you, you can tell a bit of the story using the on-screen tutorials. And that's a way to make sure that your player is going to read it and understand the story, the background of the game. So in a particular case, why did the animals flee from the zoo or something like that? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, cell phones because I was wondering why you were speaking that 
back in the day when we were talking about games, usually we were, t we were talking about big screens, right? Television or something like that. And today the, the micro copy is even microer. I don't know if that that's a word, but anyway, it's, uh, we're talking about little screens and it must be a... Nano copy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it must be a, quite a challenge to, to keep the, the attention there. Just to pick on that, now that we're talking in UX writing, uh, talking about UX writing, there's this metaphor that I love whenever I talk to people about the difference between UX writing and tech writing. So going back to the board games that we were discussing, when we look at a board game, the UX writer is the person responsible for writing what's on the actual board. So whenever there's the, you can jump two spaces or you lost your turn or whatever, that's the UX writer's job, the words that appear on the actual board. But if you go to the manual that's inside the box of the board game, that's a tech writer's job. I feel that this is a great metaphor when, whenever we're talking about the difference between those two roles. And yeah, in board games, it's it's clear because the manual is physically separated from the board itself. So we can see each person's contributions to the board. But on online games and PC games or whatever, those two things are really intertwined, which shows the complexity of working with digital today. And it's also very exciting. Unfortunately, we're reaching the end of today's episode, which was really fun. And we usually close things off in the manuscript by asking our guests their thoughts on the future of their respective areas. So, Pedro, what trends do you see for the future of tech writing and also the gaming industry as a whole? Tough question. For, for tech writing, I imagine that we're going to be even more present in the future and because it, it's something that it's always needed right you need someone to explain the technical aspects of a product or a game to someone that is not fully intertwined inside the development of the project right so we have to understand like a chunk of information and try to come up with a way to explain it in easier words or something like that so i think that Tech writing is something that it's going to be present for a while, and I hope so. <laughs> and related to game development and new games, I think that we're going to see like a different amount of new technologies related to VR and physical contacts with like the joysticks and those kind of things. It's going to grow even more, and it's very exciting if you think about it. Just uh, related to that, Pedro, I don't know if you have context about that, but do you know if it's common to find tech writers today in game studios? And Because, I mean, Wildlife Studios is a big company and tech writing is a job that is, as we all know, growing a lot now in some parts of the world, such as Brazil, where the three of us are speaking from right now. So I guess maybe it's something that, as you said, we'll see continuing to grow. But today, I mean, is it rare to find a tech writer in the gaming industry? Do you know that? Yeah, I think it's very rare, specifically if you're talking about mobile games, because they tend to be much simpler and not so deep. But when we go outside this area and think about console games and also PC gaming, more usual to find a, 
tech writer working in it. I think that UX is a lot more present in, in mobile games. Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And to close things off, last question, we have this other block on our podcast, if you're new here, which is book recommendations. So, Pedro, what book is currently on your nightstand? What are you reading right now? And what book or article would you recommend to our listeners so they can learn more about what you do or games in general? Let's keep games in mind. Okay, so related to books, I, I've been reading How to Make Sense of any mess this is a classic this is like the third time people have mentioned this book here on the show and i am a fan of this book i've read it also after other guests have recommended it too and i would love to get abby the author here <laughs> to talk to us yeah no i think i think i think this is it we have to, to bring it <laughs> yeah. sorry to interrupt you pedro but this is yeah. we're really excited about this book as well go on sorry Yeah, it's official now. <laughs> yeah, but I think it has like a lot of information. And if you're in, working as a tech writing or if you just want to learn more about it, this is the book you have to read to understand and to get a grasp of information architecture and all that. And it's so fun reading it and going through the chapters. And when you see, you completed it. <laughs> cool. And are you reading anything right now? Comic books? They're also a big hit on our book recommendations. Mm, comic books. No, not, not right now. <laughs> yeah. But I, I've read them in the past, so I'm kind of familiar to them. I think I've been reading like how to make sense of animes again. <laughs> so yeah, for now, I, I've not been reading another book. But I have also read like a, there is a tech writing handbook by a site that's called Dozuki. And it's also very nice to read and, and to get a grasp of what tech writing is and how can we make things better for a company or something like that. Cool. We'll add the link to our show notes. And just so we close things off with some game recommendations, what are you playing? What do you suggest people to give a try? Yeah, I've been playing a new game that has released like I guess only in Brazil It, it's called Outfire and it's a shooting game and it's very fun it's online and it's like for mobiles and I think you guys are going to have a blast playing it I've also been playing Zuba which is our company's game so the, the animals fled out from the zoo from their cages and now they will have to fight the guards and other animals it's very fun And I've also been playing League of Legends Wild Rift because I've been a League of Legends guy and now it's on mobile and you have to pay attention to it, right? <laughs> cool. I just got my Game Boy back and I'm going back to my Super Mario Bros. <laughs> vibe. So that's my recommendation for today. And also Neopets has a mobile game now, which I'm dying to try out because this was my childhood online game and world. So yeah. Whoa, I used to play Neopets too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Breno, any recommendations of games? I've been really hooked to the one I said before, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's a bit cliche, but it's really good. So yeah, I can't stop playing. That's my recommendation. I want to try out The Witcher as well. Ah, The Witcher. Yeah, if you like The Witcher, you will like Valhalla because they're very much alike. 
it's my favorite type of game. I've tried Assassin's Creed before, but I don't know. It's not my thing. There are many flavors. This one, I mean, you should try it. Valhalla is the best one. <laughs> and I'm not getting right. paid, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, neither Neopets is paying me. <laughs> All right. I think that's how we end today's episode. I would like to say thank you so much, Pedro, for joining us today. We've been dying to talk about games in our show. And you've been an amazing guest and have so much to contribute to this industry and to our podcast as well. Yeah, thanks a lot, Pedro. It's always fun to talk about games. And well, it's very interesting to be able to connect tech writing to games. And thanks a lot for this opportunity. Yeah, thank you guys. I've, I've been. It was a pleasure to be here, and I'll keep listening to you. <laughs> Please do. Hi everyone, Breno here. So it's been such an amazing ride here at the manuscript since the beginning. We've had the opportunity of talking to so many great people and I'm truly honored for having had that opportunity. During the next few months, I'll be going through a career transition, so I'll have to focus exclusively on studying and working. It's going to be a busy time for me, so I'll need to step back from the microphone, which of course will not be a problem because as always, it will be in the hands of the amazing Ju. So it's going to be, of course, uh, a little sad for me not to be with you anymore here, but I'll be listening to all the episodes, which I know for sure that are going to be great as always. So I'd like again to take this time to thank you so much for your audience and all your kindness. And I hope I'll be, be back someday to the manuscript. Thanks so much, everyone. Breno, oh, I'm actually emotional right now, having mixed feelings here, because I'm happy for you and rooting for this career change. But I'm also sad I won't have my co-host buddy here. Oh well. Hopefully, it will only be a see you later type of goodbye and not a farewell. And obviously, doors will always be open since we have, well, built the doors of the manuscript together since the beginning. So yeah, listeners, it will only be me around here for the next couple of months. But don't worry, we have so many new episodes being produced with that manuscript magic we love so much. So please stick around. And as usual, all the links mentioned will be on our show notes. And you can check out our Goodreads bookshelf to know all of our guests' book recommendations. The link for that is also on our show notes. And a huge thanks to Guilherme and Karin for sharing their insights as gamers. Thanks to Jack Douglas, who did the voiceover on Guilherme's audio. And second thanks to Karin for sharing the videos we mentioned throughout the episodes. Lots of hands on deck for this one. This episode was edited by Pupila, Junior Enterprise from Uenibit. If you like good stories, you'll like Pupila. Thanks to Barbara Pinheiro, Editing Team Manager, and Lucas Costa and André Josias, members of Pupila, aka the heroes behind the curtains here, who edited what you just heard. Thanks for sticking around. It means that you share our passion about technology and writing. And since that's a very specific scope, let's be honest, It would be great if you could spread the word about our show, share it with friends and colleagues who might also be interested in the topics we cover. It really does help. See you in a couple of weeks.